What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until we learn what that means and until that glorious day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say welcome to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation. If this is your first time stopping by, I'd like to say thank you so much. From the bottom of my heart, it really does mean a lot. I hope that this show and the ones that I am able to plug and pass along prove useful and educational in your studies and that anything that I have to say on the show or anything that I have to mention on the show that makes you thinking is worthwhile. Um, If this is you coming back, I'd like to say even more thank you so much because that means that you thought something I said was worth coming back to hear more of what I said. So uh, that means a lot to me. Uh, And uh, yeah, again, uh, always please reach out. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook, as well as by emailing indefenseofliberation at gmail.com. If for whatever reason you want to reach out, critique something I had to say, ask a question, leave a criticism of a group or an event which I have discussed, or on the opposite end, maybe you have a suggestion of a podcast to check out, a channel to uh, invite onto the show, a topic to go over, etc. If you have any reason to reach out, please feel free to do so. I love hearing from folks. I especially love using it as an opportunity to grow relationships with those who check out my show and especially those who feel inclined uh, towards action and towards praxis and ultimately uh, who feel that the uh, main objective for the left in the United States and overall the masses of the world is to come together, to get organized, to build an internationalist struggle towards proletarian liberation across the planet. Um, If you, you know, are uh, leaning towards that sort of mentality, again, feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. But Anyways, now that I've kind of gone over that, I'd like to say, again, thanks so much for stopping by, and let's get into the show. So, today, I got a few different things that I want to talk about, and I hope that they connect in the way in which I want them to. Before we go into the more broad topics, I'd like to hit on the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse has officially been uh, declared not guilty of all charges. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, blatant example. I think the best way to understand this and the Ahmed Arbery case that is also, uh, I I can't remember if it's officially been deliberated on or if it is currently being decided upon, but, um, these cases both, uh, should serve as, uh, you know, yet another clear example that the uh, U.S. state, uh, but especially the capitalist bourgeois state apparatus, is not a tool by which the working masses can wield and use for its own benefit. Mostly because, unfortunately, this capitalist bourgeois system is controlled by the capitalists and 
the bourgeoisie. And therefore, as we saw on the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, the judges, the law, the jury, and the sentiments of those watching can be twisted, turned, propagandized, and ultimately used as a way in which to free murderers, white supremacists, and, uh, you know, abusers. So, anyways, I think that's the best way to understand what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse is an anomaly uh, in that he is not... um, Actually, excuse me, I used the wrong terminology here. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is not an anomaly. Um, That's not really what I was meaning to say, but it, it, it suits my overall message, meaning he himself is a part of the broad picture, and although what he did is especially horrible and the actions which he committed deserve punishment, he himself is not the ultimate arbitrator of white supremacy, the patriarchal system, and U.S. uh, oppression within this uh, land and within the world. He is a result of, and ultimately a small mirror to really what the overall system is and what it continues to develop and create within the broad masses and citizenry within the U.S. empire. So I think the best way to understand the Kyle Rittenhouse case, the uh, other cases that we've seen uh, kind of be deliberated on here in the U.S. where, for example, the murderers of Breonna Taylor did not get the time which people were expecting, Uh, Derek Chauvin kind of being the sole uh, uh, scapegoat of the the death uh, and murder of George Floyd. All of these are somewhat examples of how the state apparatus and legal code of the capitalist bourgeois system is written in favor of the ruling class and ultimately deliberated on and organ uh, uh, you know really organized by those same ruling class elites. So ultimately, what we are looking at here in the United States and across the world, as we see time and time again, governments such as the U.S. and governments such as those in Europe, in Australia, and in uh, other countries, we see time and time again that the legal code that was written by the former colonial or imperial powers within these nations tend to not offer the working class the exploited and oppressed people, a tool and an opportunity to liberate themselves. We require revolutionary means, and we require also revolutionary organization and movements. So, unfortunately, as we have seen, Kyle Rittenhouse has been let off. Uh, The murderers of Ahmed Arbery, if they have not already, I would not be so surprised to see them also get off especially considering they are friends of the local sheriff's department. Um, This not necessarily being necessary, as we saw with Kyle Rittenhouse, a, you know, almost uh, random child who was used by the far right and the white supremacists as a uh, symbol and as a, uh, they're almost, you know, Uh, what's it called when you declare someone a saint? The far right and evangelicals within the U.S. uh, really turning Kyle into a saint of sort. Uh, And we have to also realize, the last thing I want to say on the Kyle Rittenhouse case before I move on to 
uh, some more news and overall topics is, you know, what we really see with the Kyle Rittenhouse case is the example that, unfortunately, the, uh, the precedent is now set that far-right groups and white supremacy groups, uh, extremist and other reactionary groups within society, they have case law in their favor now. Not that that wasn't already the, you know, the sentiment of the, the legal code within the U.S., but now there is a recent uh, case law that sets a recent precedent that others can cite and source as a reason as to why they themselves should not be declared guilty for, uh, you know, committing acts not too dissimilar to the ones that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse committed. So, you know, this is an important thing. Uh, and, And especially, I will say this before we move on, this is especially dangerous because within the United States, the far right and the racist, white supremacist, reactionary parts of society, they are conscious of the contradictions between themselves and the people that they deem as lesser than. And so ultimately they are going to be bolstered by this because they are now conscious of the fact that they themselves feel superior to these people. And now legal code has given them an opportunity to act on those feelings. But on top of this, they are especially dangerous because they are already organized, they're already well-equipped, they're already trained with these weapons, they're talking to one another, they're propagandizing to one another, and they're getting ready for other actions. Um, Across the United States, unfortunately, there is a huge rise in hate crimes. Um, In Maryland, I believe, a 72-year-old black woman was found uh, hanging. And, you know, I don't know that I really need to be the one to point this out to you, but not many people hang themselves in trees publicly. I would love to be able to say nobody does, but somebody's going to come on here and give me a fucking hard time. So maybe one or two people historically have done that. However, what usually happens is that a hate group such as the KKK hangs someone in a tree. Uh, Oftentimes, as uh, has been shown to be true, especially here in the U.S., oftentimes as a sign of initiation. Um, So unfortunately, the far right and the uh, racist Uh, reactionary groups within society are on the rise. And this is an issue because we cannot say the same for the left in the United States. The left is not organized. The left is not armed. The left is not militantly taking action and advancing and intensifying the struggle. Uh, The left really at this point in time needs to try to find a way to organize itself, to constitute a power which is willing and able to react and to kind of pursue justice in a way when the uh, reactionary state government refuses to do the same or refuses to do this for us. Um, The the United States is a settler colonial state which was organized and built by 
enslaved labor and oppressive and exploitative practices. So ultimately, the United States itself as an institution and as a project will always be until its uh, hopeful demise a reactionary repressive state which is discriminatory towards uh, black, brown, and indigenous uh, folks within society who are seen and made to be seen by this state, by our education, by our mass media as lesser than. So until that changes, we need to try changing it. Um, And as it continues to change, we have to continue to do the same. So the the point here being that uh, the far right is out killing people and the left isn't doing anything to stop it. Neither are the police, neither are the military, nor is the court system, the judicial system, the judges themselves, or uh, the legal code, which serves as a foundation to this uh, oppressive nation. Because of this, there's a lot of things that we need to talk about. First and foremost, I would like to take this episode to possibly discuss the ideas of democracy, the ideas of representative politics, and the building of a politic based on mass movements and mass organization. So as we know, the United States was started, it was founded by liberal colonists and settlers who used the ideas, the vague notions of democracy, of liberty, and of freedom to masquerade and puppet as the actual foundation to this society, rather than the genocide, the pillaging and plundering, and the exploitation and oppressive systems which are truly to be seen as the base to what we now call the United States. Democracy, as well as things like liberty and freedom, were popularized in the 15, 16, 17, and 1800s across the world, but especially within Europe, as ideas which would be able to emancipate the masses. Now, we know, and I don't really think I need to go into a historical explanation as to why, but we know that these ideas were so vague and so broad that, in fact, they did absolutely nothing to actually build such a society in reality. These ideas were not strong enough to actually constitute a society which provided for all members. These ideas were not capable in and of themselves of developing a politic, a legislative system, a government, or a representative democracy which was equal, which was egalitarian, and which was intent on providing equal amounts for people who were made equal under U.S. law. It's almost impossible for such a thing to be expected to be developed when we look at the historical nature of the development of the United States. Again, a settler colonial society built by settler colonists who came from Europe seeking freedom, democracy, and liberty, which ultimately meant they were seeking land, they were seeking people to enslave, 
They were seeking resources and trade routes to exploit. They were seeking all kinds of things to make their own, uh, not really considering or quite caring about the way in which it affected those who were already here, nor the enslaved and oppressed people which they brought here from Africa uh, in order to make into their free labor base to building this society. This much is clear. Uh, no matter where you know you go within American society, it is clear to see these discrepancies and inequalities within the system that supposedly calls itself free and democratic. Now, democracy, freedom, liberty, these are all ideas. And we as Marxists demand that a materialist analysis and a materialist foundation to change be developed and ultimately used as a tool rather than idealistic ones. Simply because ideas are great, but as we have seen, whether it be in America, in Canada, in South and Central America, in Asia, in Africa, everywhere the capitalist, democratic, and bourgeois ideals were used as justification for genocide, for enslavement, for imperialism, for colonization, and for all kinds of other oppressive and exploitative developments, exploitative developments, which have led towards the wealth, the resources, the land, and the freedoms being siphoned off into the hands of the few already wealthy, already uh, controlling and oppressive elite ruling class hands. So democracy and these other ideals, which sound great in theory, are not practically applicable, especially within a capitalist system, which is diametrically opposed to the ideals of democracy. I mean, how can you have a democratic system within a society based on the exploitation of the many poor working people by the few wealthy and oppressing elites? How can you have a free system which is based on and at one time was foundational to this system of slavery, of mass genocide of indigenous populations, of inequality between sexes and genders, of the oppression of immigrant and migrant populations? How can you claim that this liberal society is able to provide these liberal rights to the masses when the very economic mode of production which this system purports as its own is incapable, both theoretically and practically, in, uh, incapable of providing for the masses and broad working class people. Now, I don't need to go too much into detail, I hope, but I hope we understand here that then when we are talking about socialism, when we are talking about using Marxism to build a new society out of the old one, that we are going to continuously run into similar contradictions and similar inequalities, especially when the capitalist and bourgeois global market 
and global system of imperialism still exists as the dominant force within society. Now, there are countries all across the world that are actively working towards combating these inequalities, actively working towards bridging these contradictions and resolving them in favor of building a new egalitarian society, which will ultimately lead towards its own contradictions and its own inequalities, but will be corrected on a basis of an already pre-existing socialist egalitarian system where the representation is not dominated by the wealthy elites, corporations, and lobbyists, but is in fact elected by, represented by, and built for the broad masses within society. If you look at countries like Nicaragua, which are able to build collective and democratic autonomous regions for indigenous and African descendant Nicaraguans who are trying to build their society with a basis of their own cultural identity, this would not be capable under a capitalist society. We cannot even develop a society within the capitalist system that provides for the broad masses of white people. White people, the most likely to be privileged within the capitalist system, still suffer poverty, still suffer inequality, still suffer mass joblessness, uh, uh, unemployment, and all kinds of other struggles within this capitalist system. So if this system can't even provide for the very descendants of those who built it, then how is it expected to provide for everyone? It's not. It is simply incapable of doing it. And it uses the idea of democracy, which especially within the United States is developed using this duopolistic system between the Democrat and Republican parties to placate to the ideas of democracy through the faux choice between one bourgeois capitalist uh, party and another. Now, one of them is more militaristic and openly racist than the other, but the other one is also building a militaristic racist system, just using the pre-existing legal code and democratic subterfuges to confuse the masses and ultimately lead them towards believing that the Democrats, the Democrats constitute an oppositional party and constitute any kind of system which is different than the one that we already have. Democracy is a tool, it's an idea which is capitalized upon by the ruling class bourgeoisie and wielded against the masses to confuse and divide them. So what does this mean? Because I think what is in most, most important to understanding this is understanding what do we do now? Well, first and foremost, one of the most important things that we can do is point out how this supposedly democratic system is not democratic. How is it that this democratic system, which, again, a democracy is a system which is built by the many for the many. Again, folks like Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, many others since them have used the words built by the people for the people as a, uh, a reference to what a democratic system is. But we know this isn't the case because within the United States, there are over 25 million people who have been made incapable of voting, 
running for office, are participating in political or social struggles in any way, shape, or form because of a felony charge or a current conviction and imprisonment. You also have other means by which this supposedly democratic system completely revokes the one thing that it says makes it democratic, the voting rights from the masses of people within the United States. Uh, Indigenous peoples in the Dakota oftentimes do not have a mailing address and therefore cannot apply for voter registration. In other parts of the country, if you have a P.O. box or you frequently move, you are oftentimes made almost incapable of participating in this supposedly democratic system. On top of just talking about voting, which I feel is an ultimately useless discussion point, we have to talk about who, A, is building the system, and B, is deciding who gets to be the representatives within this system which they themselves are building. Now, we usually find out about presidential uh, candidates, congressional candidates, House of Representative candidates, by the time they've already made it to the primary. But if you look 5, 10, 15 years back in the history of many of these politicians, you see the first instance by which they are uh, set up to become these representatives. You have someone like Barack Obama, who almost 10 years before he even ran for president, Citibank and other institutions like it were talking about the usefulness and the opportunity that he, as a black Democrat, presented in order to uh, confuse the masses and uh, ultimately put more hands in the pocket, or excuse me, put more wealth in the hands and the pockets of the already rich, wealthy, ruling elites. He bailed out the banks. He kicked out more people than any other president before him. He drone-striked and bombed to shit the Middle East far worse than many representatives before him. He himself and his administration were extremely, extremely and monumentally influential in the developments in Libya, in the developments with AFRICOM, in the developments in China and the South China Sea, in the developments with Russia, in the developments of a new Cold War, in the developments of furthering the global capitalist system, So we have to understand that these representatives are cherry-picked far before any of us know their name. And they're cherry-picked by organizations which we don't know the names of, like the uh, National Endowment of Democracy organization. The, uh, um, uh, the, oh, geez. There's all kinds of foundations and think tanks and uh, outside uh, third-party organizations which dedicate millions of dollars to counter-revolutionary groups like the Guzanos in Miami, which dedicate millions to political parties and political candidacies of presidential candidates, of congressional candidates, of even local municipal candidates, which they know will sign off contracts to Spectrum or sign off contracts to ExxonMobil, sign off contracts to Amazon or Facebook or Walmart, giving them tax-free land, giving them control of natural resources. In my area, the AT&T, there was a contract signed for over 20,000 square miles of land, or excuse me, square acres of land, which has been untouched for 10 years, 
which was previously a nature uh, reserve and uh, really untouched land. Um, and, and now it's sitting idle, it's being developed, it's being speculated on, and it's in the ownership of a uh, multi-billion dollar corporation, AT&T, which does not le- need more land, which does not need more tax subsidiaries, which does not need more development or more control over the uh, you know means of production and communication in this country and across the world. On top of that, I would like to say also that these groups and these ruling class elites not only are sitting in the representative spots of power, but also hold the ownership of the water, of the land, of the housing, of the banking institutions, of the supply chains, of transportation, of production, of jobs, of industry, of communication. They own all of it. So when we talk about democracy, our our main point of reference must be the question, democracy for who? Now, when we're talking about trying to change this, there's a lot of things that we have to do. We have to start building a revolutionary and militant mass organization which can constitute an oppositional force to the Democratic and Republican parties, but also the pre-existing, you know, capitalists, the pre-existing pharmaceutical companies, private military contracting companies, the far-right hate groups, the, uh, you know, advocacy groups for uh, trans rights, for black liberation, for uh, gender and sexual equality. All of these groups need to be put on the basis of revolutionary politics because ultimately, otherwise, they are still building towards the system, the status quo, which already exists, which has uh, time and time again been incapable or unwilling to provide for and ultimately provide equal opportunities for the masses of people within the world and especially in this context, which we are discussing the United States. Not only do we need to build an oppositional force which is, you know, able to constitute, uh, you know, something which is, uh, you know, really a counterbalance, but that counterbalance also needs to be more than just, you know, a, a broad array of ideas. As Kwame Ture says, we need not simply be organized against something. Well, but we must be united for something. And if we are not building or united for a proletarian socialist uh, society, we are ultimately building towards nothing because the bourgeois capitalist system already exists. The social democratic uh, systems already exist. The Nordic systems already exist. The autonomous regions in different countries already exist. The uh, pre-existing and pre-building, really existing socialist projects already exist. We have to build something more. We have to build something revolutionary. We have to build something which constitutes something different. If we want to talk about democracy in this country, we have to talk about what democracy means. Because democracy is not blind faith in the institutions and systems that exist. In fact, as Michael Parenti points out, democracy is, an in, is endemic upon argument, upon disagreement, upon criticism and critique. 
Because unless we are calling out the inequalities, the inefficiencies, and the illogical nature of the capitalist system for the masses of people within that system, then we are simply allowing it to continue oppressing and exploiting and discriminating against these individuals within society who have not been given proper opportunities and ability to advance the needs of themselves in their own communities. That much should be clear. Now, if we are meaning to do something about that, we have to constantly crawl out the ways in which this system goes against its supposed democratic nature. We have to point out its hypocrisy. We have to critique and show evidence towards why it is not a democratic institution. And we have to build dual power institutions and organizations within that hypocritical system which show what true socialist, egalitarian, and democratic institutions look like. We have to build organizations that can support and guide mass movements for black liberation, for trans liberation, for LGBTQ plus freedom and equality within this country, but also the world. We have to be building an internationalist organization which has communication with and connections with organizations all across the world, building socialist, uh, you know, popular and proletarian organizations and systems. We have to build something different. We have to be organizing things which show what could be. We have to be using mutual aid. We have to be using unions. We have to be be using community gardens. We have to be using popular education. We have to be using mass protests and demonstrations and also political parties, political ideas. All of these have to be tools by which a revolutionary mass organization shows its intent to build something different and ultimately bolsters its power, builds experience, and sends people out to do the things which time and time again folks say that the Democrats aren't doing, that the DSA isn't doing, that the PSL isn't doing, and that all these other organizations within the U.S. aren't doing. If we want to see something else, then we have to build it. Go out and do it. Go talk to your neighbors. Go learn how to do these things. Go experience what a demonstration is like. Learn from, you know, trying to organize your your building and build a tenant union. Learn from trying to develop community means of food and education. Actually go out and build. Because by doing so, you are learning valuable experience, or excuse me, you are learning through valuable experience, which solely books, solely unions, and solely, uh, you know, uh, the democratic political institutions that exist now are not capable of teaching you, of are not capable of giving you that revolutionary experience. Because democracy, what that really means is participation. And participation in what? Do we want participation in more primaries? Do we want participation in more bourgeois elections? Do we want participation in these local and statewide apparatuses that don't work? Or do we want to have mass movements and organizations which 
are participating in revolutionary institutions and revolutionary develops. I think this is the question ultimately which we need to be asking ourselves and we need to be trying to solve by building and organizing ourselves into something which can constitute a force capable of gaining this experience and correcting these contradictions. But anyways, folks, this is my uh, uh, opportunity to say that yet again, We need to be building mass organizations. We need to be organizing. We need to be propagandizing. We need to be educating ourselves. We need to be building. And really what we need to be doing is we need to be building opposition. The Democrats, the Republicans, the capitalists, the white supremacists, the judges, the Supreme Court, the legal code, the reactionary societal inequalities, the economy, the religions, the cultural norms and the, uh, you know, uh, pol- uh, propagandized and idealistic notions within society are, that exist to this point are all organized on the basis of providing for the status quo and the ruling elites. We need to build something which is able to disband that and oppose it take state power and defend state power for the masses of proletarian working class people by the masses of proletarian working class people. That is true democracy. That is the only democracy which we can ever see. And ultimately, true democracy, true equality is still unattainable under this system because you have the difference between someone who, you know, for example, What's a good example here? I mean, you're still going to have inequality. You're still going to have contradictions. And you're still going to have discrimination, which needs to be fought, which needs to be opposed, and which needs to be corrected. But we can't get there until until we get to the point which we still have yet to get to, which is organized, militant, disciplined, and, uh, you know, strengthened as an oppositional force. We need that. We need to keep building. We need to keep educating. We need to keep learning from the examples like Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, China, Burkina Faso, and plenty of other places. We need to be going into mass demonstrations. We need to be building organizations of popular education. We need to be uh, unionizing our workplaces. We need to be doing everything we can. But If we are doing these as sole, spontaneous, and atomized uh, struggles, we have to recognize that they have to be connected. They have to be uh, uh, grown and developed within a larger, uh, full-scale class struggle. And on top of that, they also have to be organized and militantly disciplined to be able to learn from their mistakes, to be able to correct their uh, uh, issues as they are going, and to be able to defend themselves against the onslaught of the capitalist bourgeois system and its lackeys. So if you're still listening to this, thank you so very much. I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave me a rate and a review on Apple Podcasts and feel free to reach out with any criticisms, questions, or critiques. As always, stay safe. Stay revolutionary, and until st- next time, folks, uh, stay building socialism. Peace out.